Starting from Luke 17, verse 20. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to the disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of the Man, Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in the one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, uh, good day again, everyone. It's great to be with you. I'm so delighted to be having the privilege of opening up God's Word with you. And so how about we pray as we get into it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that as we have read through Luke, we've seen that your Word is a treasure, that your promises are true, 
Father, that the thing that we need to do most in life is to sit at Jesus' feet like Mary did and just to listen. So we pray now that we would listen. We pray that we would trust your words, that we would obey them, that you might give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I think the big issue in our passage today is pretty straightforward. And in fact, you can find it right there in the very first line. And so if you look uh, with me at verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied. I think if you trace through the passage, you'll see there's time, language everywhere. And the big question is, when? When will the kingdom of God come? Now, that might be a question that doesn't stand out to you straight away uh, as you're kind of thinking about life. When does the kingdom come? Sounds a bit weird. But as we've read through Luke, we've actually heard Jesus speaking a lot about the kingdom. Now, I've been playing along from home, and I've learnt that the kingdom of God is Jesus' really good news from Luke 4 that the kingdom of God's good news for the poor, Luke 6. The kingdom of God's drawn near, Luke 10. The kingdom of God's what Jesus prays would come and the Father's given the kingdom to Jesus' followers. The kingdom's growing, Luke 13. The kingdom's like a big feast and all the nations are going to come to it. And in Luke 23, we're going to see a thief on a cross nailed next to Jesus turn to him and say, let me be part of your kingdom. And Jesus will say, today you're with me in paradise. Jesus' kingdom is pretty special, and Jesus, we've learnt, is the king of that kingdom. Friends, if you're interested in Jesus, actually, you're interested in the kingdom, because that's what he's on about. When will the kingdom come? That's the question. When's it going to happen? And in Luke 17, 20 through to 18, 8, we, we get an answer to that question. We get Jesus' reply. And you'll see, if you're an outline person, and you like looking at the outline, that there's two big parts to Jesus' answer. One's quite short, and we'll spend a fair bit of time there, and then we'll spend a little bit less on the bigger section. And I've called that first part, which is really to the Pharisees, the, ki- the kingdom behind us, because it's behind us, but it was among them. That'll make sense as we go on. Um, and the other much bigger part is addressed to the disciples from verse 22. You see that Jesus turns to disciples. Uh, I've called that the kingdom before us. And what we'll find as we go is that really Jesus is not so concerned with giving a date for when the kingdom comes as with people's attitudes, um, with the big reality that it is coming and that it has come and and actually with the sorts of things that people bring to that. And so you'll notice there there's a a bunch of sub-points and all of them are about attitudes like confusion, blindness and so on. So how about we start at verse 20 and point two, the kingdom behind us. Now we've seen right that the scene begins in verse 20. Jesus is there. He's got some of his most vocal opponents with him, the Pharisees. And they've asked him this question, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus' answer is short and pointed. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Uh, I don't know if you guys are old enough yet to be wearing glasses. I've just got some. I'm not very good at wearing them. Um, But uh, I I sometimes have this experience where I wander around the house looking for my glasses for about 15 minutes. And I look, you know, on the couch. I look uh, on the bedside table. I look on on the kitchen bench. I look all sorts of places. And after 15 minutes, someone points out that, you know, they're on your head. Have you ever had that experience? And I think the Pharisees here... 
They haven't yet realised the glasses are on their head and they're wandering around looking for them because they've wandered up to Jesus trying to find out when the kingdom of God is coming, a bit like their glasses. And, and Jesus says, well, it won't be obvious. You won't necessarily see it. You won't be able to point it out necessarily like Government House down on North Terrace because, well, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Here I am. Good question, poor timing, right? The, the king of heaven, he's left his throne and he's standing in front of the Pharisees for Q&A and they've missed it. They're blind to that reality. And it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic because even though the coming of the king here wasn't obvious, it wasn't with fanfare, he was still the king. Right? You think about it, that's the whole story of Jesus' life, that he was the baby in the manger who was also the Lord who spoke the world into being. He was uh, the one who was insulted and, and abused by the, the Pharisees and others like them, and yet he was also the Lord of sickness and of death and of the wind and the waves. Jesus on the cross, at the moment of weakness, is the one who saved the world. And, and friends, right now, we might look around and say, where's Jesus? What's he doing? Does he have any power? And in fact, he's the Lord of everything, reigning from heaven. As Jesus' friends Peter would say in Acts 2, this Jesus that you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Messiah. Where's the kingdom? When's it coming? Well, in fact, it has. It has come already. And interestingly, that's really all that Jesus had to say to the Pharisees. And it's a bit of a mic drop kind of moment. In the next few verses, he'll go on to talk to the disciples, but he's done talking to the Pharisees for the time being because actually the disciples have seen something that the Pharisees haven't. The disciples, they've seen that Jesus is the king. They've understood that. They've trusted him. They've followed him. But the Pharisees, they just needed to know, well, you know what? It's here. Here I am, says Jesus. The kingdom's here. What are you going to do about it? Uh, last year, I was part of a small evening church uh, in Sydney, in, in Kingsford. Probably don't know where that is. Um, it's near the airport. We had a bring a friend kind of night, a bit like you do at youth group sometimes. And uh, the sermon was about how Jesus brings freedom. It's a great topic. And uh, there was a young student there, and he was not a Christian. And uh, we had a question time, and he said, look, I understand that you're saying Jesus brings freedom, but I just can't see how that makes any sense. Because if you look around, um, look at COVID, for instance. He didn't put it this way, but he could have said, you know, you guys are under the same restrictions as everyone else. Some of you are sick. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are down. What difference has it made that Jesus is the king? How can you say that Jesus has brought freedom, that Jesus achieved anything when the world still struggles along like a lame horse? It wasn't quite how he put it, but it was along those lines. And I wonder, just having read this passage today, how you would respond. Um, because I think from Jesus' words here, we, we can say that Jesus himself probably wouldn't have been that surprised if someone came along and couldn't really notice his kingdom. If the sort of freedom that he brought wasn't easily seen. If the kingdom of God could come in a way that was quiet, in a way that even it could stand right in front of you and, and deliver its message and, and get missed. 
And yet Jesus wasn't any less the king when he stood in front of those Pharisees and, and warned them about the coming kingdom. Jesus has chosen to bring his kingdom about in a way that's kind of strange to us, isn't it? It's weak. It's quiet. And yet he's the king. So the question is, the kingdom's come. Don't miss it. What are you going to do about it? Well, in verse 22, Jesus turns to his disciples. And these guys, have, as we've said, they've trusted Jesus. They've recognized him. And he's got more to say to them. So we're at point three, the kingdom before us. And at this point, Jesus presents a bit of a plot twist in the story of the kingdom that he's given because we've seen, right, the kingdom's arrived in the king. And yet, while the Pharisees really only needed to get that much, the disciples needed to prepare for the future. And so the plot twist is that that's not all there is in the story of the kingdom. Verse 22, the time's coming when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. It's interesting, right? The kingdom's arrived, and yet this time's going to come when the disciples going to look to see the kingdom, look to see the day of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, in his glory, and they won't see it. They'll long for it. And actually, as, as Luke progresses, we see this happen, don't we? Uh, we see that Jesus... He dies and he goes away for a time. And then after his resurrection again, he, he ascends into heaven. He's away from his disciples. And, and don't they long for his coming? And friends, don't we long for that coming as well, to see Jesus? Won't that be a great day? And because Jesus is absent, it seems, people will get confused, Jesus warns them. And, and pe- Jesus says people will claim that, you know, here's Jesus, there's Jesus, He's returned. I am Jesus. People say strange things. But Jesus' disciples must be prepared for the fact that there will be a wait. There will be an absence of some time. And yet it's not going to be forever. Jesus isn't going away long term. So verse 24, the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Verse 30 speaks about the day when the sun is revealed. It's not going to be absence forever. There's going to be an end to that. The kingdom will come. The sun will be revealed in all his glory. First time the sun comes, it's quiet. The second time, there'll be nothing quiet about it. Alyssa and I used to live in a a flat in uh, in Randwick in Sydney, and we used to live on top of a hill, and a a little bit like living uh, in the hills here, and being able to look out and see the whole suburbs around you laid out. And when a storm came through, it was really really cool, because you see the clouds gather and and the storm kind of brewing, and when lightning flashed, it would just go from one end of the window right across to the other, and all the suburbs would be lit up with the uh, the lightning right at the same time. And just in the same way, it's going to be Jesus' return. It's not going to be something that you miss. It's going to light up all the suburbs in the world. It's not going to be something that you can kind of just have slip by. When it comes, you will know. And so if someone says to you, you know, Jesus has returned, don't be confused. He hasn't. You'll know when it happens. That's the first attitude Jesus wants to clarify, confusion about the coming of his kingdom. But in verse 26 to 35, he he moves on to another attitude, which I've got this um, funny heading called insouciance. 
And um, I don't normally like to use big words. You might think I do. You can tell me if I do or not. Um, say, Nick, you do actually use big words. But um, if you've never heard of insouciance, don't stress. I learnt it this week too. I like this word because it summarises the attitude in the passage pretty well. Um, insouciance refers to relaxed indifference. Uh, it's not just apathy. It's not just indifference. It's kind of like enjoying the apathy. It's happily indifferent. Uh, the Cambridge Dictionary calls it a relaxed and happy way of behaving without fearing worried or guilty. Doesn't that sound nice? Insouciance. Oh, like you're down at Henley Beach on your lilo in the water. Anyway, well, Jesus, it turns out, is not a fan of insouciance when particularly it comes to the coming of his kingdom. And so he reminds the disciples of two groups of people who had really mastered this attitude of insouciance of indifferent apathy, happy apathy in the Old Testament. And so he says from verse 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Uh, people were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. And it was the same in the days of Lot, that people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And friends, hearing these verses, I, I find them very confronting. I think they're particularly confronting because they kind of ring true of our world, of our generation. I might say even of me at times. That we can say, you know, yeah, Jesus has come. Jesus, Jesus will return. Surely, surely life goes on. There's things to do, isn't there? There's buying, eating, drinking, marrying, selling, planting, building to do. Jesus can wait. And uh, I know many of us are, are students, school students, uni students, um, and I think as I think about the university and um, seeing God's kingdom grow there, this really is a big challenge, this, um, this issue of insouciance. Because uni students, right, you, you put aside three, four, five, six, seven, um, I've been at uni for seven years, that's a lot, isn't it? And they're expensive and they're time-consuming. And you do that to prepare for a lifetime of eating, drinking, buying, selling, love, perhaps marriage. You notice Sodom didn't have marriage on their list. Planting and building. And there's an assumption there, really, that life will go on uninterrupted. And it's worth it because life will go on for such a long time that you can live and set up the good life through education. I'm not having a go at going to uni. It's a privilege. But the problem is that in that space, really apathy towards Jesus thrives. And so you think of trying to share the gospel uh, with your classmates who aren't Christians. And it might go something like this. You might say something like, Jesus is Lord. And they say, yeah, 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 we'll talk about it after the O-week parties. And you say, Jesus is Lord. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come and do a Bible study with you once assessments settle down, maybe like week 13. And, and then you say, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, 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 I've just picked up a few days of part-time work and I'm pretty busy. Sorry, we'll just talk about it later. Jesus is Lord. Yeah, yeah, I'm just working on my share portfolio, so I'm, I'm ready to leave uni in style. Friends, what will Jesus Christ think of our parties and our good grades and our stable careers and our secure investments when he comes. I think you'll think that they were good gifts that 
He gave us that we have sometimes used as self-inflicted blindfolds to hold his coming at arm's length and to forget about it. Let's not be a church like that. Luke tells us, look at Noah, look at Lot. Luke 17.30, look at this sudden, unexpected, overwhelming destruction. It'll be just like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. I've been watching The Ashes over the last few months, and uh, whether you love it or you hate it, it's on TV. And uh, I've been pondering the role particularly of the slips fielders. This is my favourite cricket position. And uh, the slips are the group of people who stand behind the batter, the bowler bowls to the batsman, and there's these people standing behind them. And their job is really to hope that the batter will slightly mishit a ball and, uh, and they'll catch it. You think about that job, right? Their job is to stand there for two days, maybe three, uh, like this, back bent, knees bent, hands low, if they're doing a good job. Full concentration, every ball knowing that at some point in the next two days, a ball's going to come their way. Probably a couple, but at some point, a ball's going to come their way at 100 kilometres an hour, and their job's to catch it. You think about what that's like, that waiting, that expectancy. That's cricket. Now, imagine, right? (laughs) And isn't it fun? But imagine, right, But uh, if the slips field has decided... You know, hey, hey, we know that at some point in the next few days, the catch is coming. It's probably hours away. It's probably tomorrow. So let's go, let's go set up in the outfield. We'll get the camping chairs out. We'll get a gazebo. Pull up Instagram. Have a chat. It'll be nice. We'll be ready when the catch comes. You think if that's absurd for cricket, how much more for Jesus' return? Friends, the the Christian life, it's a life of active waiting. It's not a life of just vibing it until Jesus returns. Jesus will come. We don't know the time. Uh, And that time, salvation will come. Judgment will come, as it did on the generations of Lot and Noah. And you remember that Lot escaped. Noah escaped with their families. They were ready. But for everyone else, it was sudden and unexpected. And Jesus says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. So you might say then, well, how do I wait? How do I wait expectantly? How do I be like a slips fielder, ready for the catch? And Jesus gives us a lovely image, I think, in chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. And we're at subpoint C here, prayerful longing. Um, verse 18, 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And you notice the link here, right? It's about a long wait. And the parable we heard is about a widow, and she's so desperate for justice that she keeps banging on the door of this loser of a judge who's in charge of justice in her town. And she asks, and she asks, and she asks, and she asks. And eventually, she doesn't give up. He gives up. And he gets tired, and he says, whatever. I'm fed up, I'm sick of it, you have your justice, just go away. And I think this widow is one of the images Jesus gives us to describe what it's like to wait well for his coming kingdom. Um, To be someone who asks and who asks and who longs for it and who persists in waiting and who doesn't just say, you know, 
I'll settle for a, like a, a kind of a settlement on your terms. Christians can't wait, can't properly rest until they find the hope they have in heaven. Christians know that this life is not all there is. And Christians buy and sell and marry and eat and drink and do the things that we have to do in this world. But not as if our, our lives depended on it, not as if that's the main game, but actually with a willingness to give that up sometimes for the good of others, uh, with thankfulness to God, and with a heart that's not on those things, a heart that's set on heaven. And I think Jesus' description of, of longing for justice assumes that actually sometimes that's going to mean injustice, right? That sometimes waiting is going to be difficult. But as we lose our lives, we actually gain a kingdom that's coming, a kingdom that's going to be whole stack better. And there's one important difference between the widow and the judge and the Christian and God, and I hope you've noticed it, is that God's not like that judge, God's actually just. God cares about justice more than we do. And so as even the, the unjust judge, when pestered enough, might bring about justice, God will certainly bring it and speedily, this passage reminds us. Uh, at my old church, I was involved particularly with the youth, and, and there was a, a girl there um, in the youth group in year nine, and she had a really strong sense of injustice. I think that the sort of injustice that, that high school is actually... Um, really bring to our community, if that makes sense. Um, I think year nine, often you can see things that are going on in the world and feel strongly about it in the way that adults kind of move on from. And she was frustrated and she was angry about these issues at school and in the community. Uh, but one of the real encouragements of my time was not seeing her move on from that, but seeing her begin to pray about them. And seeing her begin to recognise that um, God was actually going to bring justice. And he wasn't necessarily going to do it right away, but he had promised he would do something about it. And she saw that she didn't need to carry the weight of the world on her own shoulders. God was going to do something about it, that he was going to bring justice. And she longed for this kingdom, and she learnt to trust that God was going to do it. I just want to encourage you in, in other areas of life just to be like that. Right? That when your generosity towards others... Uh, when giving money to help people to support ministry actually costs you, maybe it costs you the house of your dreams, that you'd pray more eagerly then for the kingdom and for the home Jesus is preparing for us in heaven. That when actually going to Bible study regularly costs you a work opportunity, it costs you socially, and that's tough, and it is tough, that you would pray for the coming kingdom. And when your willingness to associate with people who are doing it tough makes life more complicated, perhaps sadder, perhaps harder than it would have otherwise be, pray for the coming kingdom. It's not insouciance. It's praying. It's patient, longing, waiting. When's the kingdom going to come? Well, what we've seen is the king has come and he's walked and he's died and he's risen on this earth and he reigns in heaven. He's going to come back soon. Let's be ready. Can I pray for us? Let's, let's pray. Our gracious Father, we just want to thank you so much for your patient mercy on us. That though we, like all of our world, deserve your judgment, that you have offered us rescue in your King Jesus. 
and that you've had mercy on us and prepared us for his coming, that you've offered us rescue. And Father, we pray that we would daily lose ourselves and our lives in Jesus' service and that we would find them again in his kingdom. Father, we pray that on the day that we're with him, uh, that we'd be ready for that day and that on that day the joy of what we have in him, the joy of being in his presence, that that would overshadow all the things that we love in this world and that we'd even forget, that we'd find it astonishing that we used to love the things that we love now. And we pray that you'd help us to be like the widow, asking and longing for Jesus' return. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.